So Jesus stands on a mountain and preaches the greatest sermon ever preached, ever. And what we've been talking about for nearly the last two months has been the first few lines of that sermon. So here's the deal. Jesus, in just a few words, teaches us all about how we live our lives His way. I know we're all accustomed to living life our way. Donna was telling you, you know, sometimes living life our way means when we let our way interpret, you know, and, and get in God's way. And I'm going to tell you that what God wants for you and for me is to do things His way. And that's what the Beatitudes are all about, about living life God's way. I've told you every week these two truths. Number one, that the Beatitudes are paths to genuine happiness. Now, let me just make sure you understand. I'm not talking about happiness when your bills are paid, happiness when your team happens to win, the, you know, beat the number nine team in the nation, you know, <laughs> hypothetically. I'm not talking about that kind of happiness, even though that's happy, right? I'm talking about eternal, deep truth that lasts forever. And that the second thing, the Beatitudes reveal the benefits of living life God's way. He started every one of these Beatitudes as blessed are. Blessed are. Blessed are. And that word just means happy, fulfilled, content, complete. Anybody want to be happy, fulfilled? Yes. And not just on this blip that Donna was talking about, but for all of eternity. See, these Beatitudes are so confrontational. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't like that, right? Blessed are the meek. We don't like that. Blessed are those that are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, you know, we want to hunger and thirst for what we want to hunger and thirst for. What Blessed are the merciful. Uh, that, that's so confrontational because it's so unnatural. That's the point. Jesus came. To do in us what we could not do on our own. And these beatitudes, these paths, these behaviors, truthfully are impossible without His Spirit dwelling within us. So we finish the beatitudes today with what might be the most challenging one. And, and I'm not sure, but I, I kind of believe that God gave us these in order. That God gave us, and, and Jesus camps out on this last one, spends a little more time on this last one than he did any of the others. Because this might be the most challenging one. He said in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You on board? He said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Will you pray with me? Father, over the next few minutes, my prayer is that you would open our hearts and our ears to the timeless truths of your word. Teach us how to be more like you. Transform us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So before we get too far in today's message, let's acknowledge 
that the persecution that you and I are going to experience in the Bible Belt pales in comparison to what many Christian brothers and sisters across the globe might suffer. Missionaries that leave their home and give their lives for the cause of the gospel. Men and women who've been martyred for their faith have experienced persecution on a level that you and I can't fathom. That being said, the persecution that you and I experience are still very, very real. The insults and the offenses that you and I experience are still very real. And it's incredibly important that you and I respond to those offenses in a way that honors Christ. Agreed? Are you sure? I, I sort of feel like that there's, and this is a very broad brush general statement, but I sort of feel like that there's two kinds of Christians. They're the Christians that stand firm on truth and, and dig their heels in truth and sometimes are mean about it, right? And then there are Christians that, oh, let's just love everybody and everything's okay and you're okay and we're all okay and everything is okay, okay? And I'm going to tell you that either of those extremes are dangerous because if we dig our heels so hard in truth that we, uh, we, we, we don't see the struggles of others and we don't see the, the perspectives of, of others, we can become judgmental and angry. And if we, if we just land on the, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, let's just love each other, hug, sing kumbaya, everything's cool, then there's no foundation of truth to build our lives on. And I'm going to tell you that it doesn't have to be either or. That it is indeed both and. We can build our lives on truth and at the same time love people well. And what this beatitude is all about is loving people well when people are difficult to love. And and before you amen that too loudly... Any of you ever been difficult to love? Have you ever offended someone? Have you ever insulted someone for the cause of Christ? I hope not, maybe, but I bet you have. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that is why for Christ's sake, whose sake? For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, oh listen, in persecutions. I delight in persecutions. Are you there? When someone offends you, you're like, yippee. Is that where you're at? Do you delight when someone insults you because you've sold out to Jesus? It's so easy to read that on a page, isn't it? But when it's your life and you're being insulted because of you, you've taken a stand and because of the way you believe. It doesn't feel good, does it? But Paul said, I delight in it. Why? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Are you there? God, the weakness that I sense becomes strong when I do things your way. If that means I have to delight in those moments of persecution, I, I'm going to tell you that I can't do that 
naturally, so I need something supernatural. I need the Holy Spirit to dwell within me and give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus gave us this beatitude last. And I believe what he's teaching us is if you'll do all of these things, if you'll be poor in spirit, if you'll be meek, if you'll seek righteousness and you'll be merciful and pure in heart and you'll learn that in times of persecution you respond my way instead of your own natural way, if you bump down just one more verse, if you do all of those things, if you're meek, and you're, and you're merciful, and you're kind, and you're chasing righteousness, and you're poor in spirit. He said, and at that moment, you'll become the, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, the salt of the earth. You'll give the world flavor. Not only will you give the world flavor as salt of the earth, you'll be the light of the world. Would you agree with me if I told you that we live in a dark, dark world at times and there must be some light? And Jesus said, if you'll do it my way, that light is you. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might, they might see your good deeds and pat you on the back and make you feel good about yourself and affirm you and celebrate you. That's not what the Bible says. That they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, my, my beautiful wife said it well. It's not about you. This life that we live is not our own. We are crucified with Christ. The salt of the earth. The light of the world. I'm going to tell you that this world needs some flavor and it needs some light. In fact, Jesus told us what this world would look like in the last days. Now listen. Um, I, I remember going to my grandmother's house as a child, which was a long, long, long time ago. And her talking to me about the last days. And she would say, son, we're, we're living in the last days. So I feel like I've heard that all my life. And maybe some of you that have got a couple of years on me would agree. You've heard that all your life. We're living in the last days. So I need, I, in response to that, I need to tell you something. We're living in the last days. Jesus said it in Matthew 24. He said, this is what the last days will look like. And then many will be offended. Do we live in a world where it's so easy to be offended? Of, of course it is. You have to be careful what you say to, and who you say it to and what you post and what you like. I have a, a, a pastor that I follow that got berated greatly because he liked a tweet. Come on, y'all. We're so easily offended. Jesus told it was going to be that way. He said that many would be offended. We'd betray one another. And we'd hate one another. Does that sound like today? Of course it does. But we live in this narcissistic, all-about-me world and i'm going to tell you that if you and i are going to be mature followers of christ if we're going to bear the image of our savior we got to grow up a little bit 
and recognize that it isn't about us. And, there, and that persecution may come. Insult may come. Offense may come. In fact, I, I'm going I'm to change that phrase. It will come. Persecution will come. And if you've been following Jesus more than 20 minutes, you've already experienced it. Man, I remember I was trying to press into Jesus as, as a younger man. And, and so I would, I'd go to my office. I'd go to, I'd go to uh, my job. And, and this one guy came up to me one day. And, and he's just like, I'm sick of you. Huh? He said, I hate the way you walk in here every morning. And I'm thinking, I'm the nicest person in this building. He's like, walking here every morning, smiling, speaking to everybody. It's ridiculous. I wanted to say, dude, that's a you problem. I'm going to tell you that if you press in to Christ, somebody's not going to like it. You're going to get pushback from, listen, maybe, maybe somebody you live with. Maybe somebody you live beside. I don't know, but I promise you it'll come because Jesus said it would. And don't expect that just because you love God, you won't be offended. The opposite is true. Are we settled now? It's coming. Dwayne, you should be more positive. Okay, I'm positive it's coming. How do I know it's true? Because Jesus said it was. Luke 17, this is the Beatitudes in Luke. We've been in Matthew, but this is Luke 17. He said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. So if no offenses come, you're probably not a disciple. I heard, ooh, that stung a little, didn't it? It's coming. So how? If we know that it's coming, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to those moments of offense and insult? Are we going to carry those offenses around on our shoulders and in our soul? Is that what we're going to do? That gets heavy, by the way. If you've ever carried resentment and unforgiveness around for very long, you know that it gets heavy. It makes your soul tired. And to be honest, it's an immature reaction as a follower of Christ. And oh, frankly, it's unhealthy. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What, what gets through barred gates? Nothing. That same gate that's keeping your offense in might be keeping your blessing out. So I'm going to challenge you today to listen to the words of Christ. Recognize that persecution's coming. But respond the right way. Persecution comes in many forms. Now, there's just some mean people in the world. Is that right? See, if, if I were mean, I would pick on Tennessee Volunteer fans. I would say, I, if I were mean, and I'm not, but if I were, I would say something like, do you know why Tennessee Volunteer fans wear orange? Because they can watch the game on Saturday, they can hunt in the woods on Sunday, pick up trash by the highway on Monday. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not mean, so I wouldn't say that. 
See, uh, now you laugh, but I got friends that are my, my watch this online and I'll get a phone call later. <laughs> Offenses will come. You can't avoid it. Write this down if you're taking notes. You can't control persecution and offense, but you can control your response. I'm not sure I can, Dwayne. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit came to infill you and give you one of those fruits that is self-control. You can control your response. And it, it just happens. So what I'm going to give you today in the time that we have left are four spiritually mature responses to offense. Four spiritually mature responses to offense. And eyeballs, you're not going to want to do any of them. We're going to, I want to, and you want to be formed and transformed into the image of Christ. And if we're going to do that, here's some things we have to do. I promise you, you're not going to like this one. Number one, let the offense go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Proverbs chapter 12. Now, now, let me just tell you, I didn't write this, so don't get mad at me. Proverbs 12, 16, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Hmm. Proverbs 19, 11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. I'm going to tell you that I believe God's way is to overlook those petty, silly insults, offenses, and persecutions. Take the high road. Maybe, maybe this will help explain what I'm talking about. So I heard a story about a man that was playing golf with a high-level executive at a corporation that you would all recognize that I'm not 100% sure this is the one they were talking about. I'm 90% sure that they were talking about a, a company that you can't go to today. You can't buy their food today because it's Sunday. Okay, that's, that's all I'm saying. And so he's playing golf, and he is having this conversation with this high-level executive at this corporation that is closed today. And he asks this question. Oftentimes, because of your stance, because you're... They don't build themselves as a Christian organization, but they run themselves with Christian values. Because you, of your values, oftentimes the media and the public pushes against you, and, and you get a lot of bad press about the values and the, and the stances that you've taken over certain issues. What do you, what's your policy? What have you decided to do? How have you chosen to respond to that, those insults and offenses and persecutions? And he said, we modeled our response after a movie in 1983. How many of you were not born in 1983? And now I'm depressed. In 1983, I was a junior in high school, and I remember this movie. This is honestly, from the 80s, this is one of my favorite movies. 
It was with Matthew Broderick. It's called War Games. Anybody see War Games? Now, if you haven't seen it, you ought to go. It's, I'm sure it's on some of the streaming platforms because it's, it's kind of funny to watch the technology of 1983. And the premise of the movie War Games was there was this kid that had this computer in his room and he had hacked in to the NORAD defense system of the federal government, the military. And he was playing a game, a simulation game, with the computer at NORAD that they had named in the movie Joshua. But there was one problem. The computer didn't know it was a game. And all of a sudden, the countdown is going, that's going to begin global thermonuclear war. So they call this kid into this silo in NORAD, and they're, they're trying, along with another professor, to, uh, to shut it down. And, and the, the harder they try to shut it down, the worse it gets. So they had this idea to start running these simulations in, uh, in, inside Joshua. And all of a sudden, you see the countdown go to zero, and, and there's, a, there's a launch from the United States. And Russia retaliates, total destruction. And then the next simulation, Russia launches first, and, and the United States retaliates, total destruction. And the computer starts running simulation after simulation after simulation, and they all end the same. Total destruction, total destruction. Dozens and dozens of simulations, and they all end the same. And then all of a sudden, everything goes black. Computer pops up on the big screen and says, Strange game, Dr. Falcon. The only way to win is to not play the game. Sometimes the only way to win when offenses come and insults come is just to refuse to play the game. Many of you know I'm, um, I'm in the middle of a, a counseling program at Liberty University. And there's a, there's a skill that you're supposed to learn as, a, as an effective counselor. And I'm going to tell you that this skill is not just for counselors. It ought to be for every follower of Christ. And the skill is empathy. See, I, I think... I think what we must learn to do as mature believers is to place ourselves in the perspective of another human being. It doesn't mean you have to agree with their perspective. It doesn't mean you have to align with their perspective. But if you can try to understand what they're walking through when they cut you off in traffic and you cuss them out, you don't know what, that, what kind of day they've had. I'm going to tell you this. I don't, you don't have a blank for this, but you ought to write it down. Loving well looks past the behavior and imagines the pain in their life. So Friday, I'm studying this sermon. You with me? I'm studying the sermon. I stop because I have to go to Snellville to pick up a prescription. So I'm standing in line for my prescription. And where I pick up my prescriptions, it's pharmacy and doctor's office. You with me? Pharmacy and doctor's office. And so I'm standing there, and the, the, the nurse comes out and calls a patient that had been waiting a less amount of time than another patient. And he didn't like it. 
and pretty uh, an older gentleman, I'm going to say he's well into his 80s. And he did not like it. He didn't like it. And he raises his voice. Well, guess what she does? She raises it right back. And before I know it, and, she, and she's on the other side of a glass. Well, somebody opens the door, and he makes a beeline behind that door. And, y'all, I'm, I'm in line, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm fixing to have to tackle this 80-year-old man. And he's screaming at her, you disrespected me. And she's screaming right back, you disrespected me first. You raised your voice at me. No, you raised your voice. And they're just screaming at each other. And finally, thank you, Lord. I didn't want to be Pastor Tackle's 80-year-old man, feminine 11. <laughs> Things started to de-escalate. And I thought, because I I'd just gone through what I'm teaching you and I'm thinking what if somebody would have just said I apologize have a seat what what if the man would have said you know what I I know you guys are doing the best you can back there I'm gonna have a seat what if the nurse would have said you know sir I'm sorry we'll get to you as quickly as we can I apologize I wouldn't have a story to tell you today would I? I I wouldn't have even thought about it sometimes you just gotta take the high road, and overlook the offense. You with me? That's number one. Number two, forgive quickly. Is that easy to do? (laughs) I've given you this story many, many times. It's one of my favorite stories in the New New Testament. And it's, it's found in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. Beautiful story. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with the story of the prodigal son, then go home and read Luke 15. It's a, it's a beautiful story. Here's the cliff notes. A wealthy man had two sons. One of the sons said, Dad, I want my stuff now. I don't want to wait till you die. And he takes off and he leaves home and he spends all the money on liquor and loose women. It's in the Bible. When all the money ran out, oddly enough, all of his friends were gone. How many know that's how that works? And so he makes a decision to go home to his father. And he has this, he has this apology script narrated in his mind that he's going to say to his father when he gets home. He has this apology. I'm not worthy of being called your son. Just let me be one of your servants. Just, let, just give me a place to sleep. I'm not, I'm not your son anymore. I, I get it. I, I've, I've blown all your money. I'm you know, has this whole script narrated. And and there's something very unique about this story. The Bible says that his father saw him while he was still a long way off. The father runs to meet his son and throws his arms around him and kisses him on his face and and is gloriously declaring, my son who is dead is now alive. And, and the son, and you can read it for yourself, the son tries to, to get into the speech, and his father almost interrupts him and says, no, we're having a party. You're home. And so my question is, when did the father forgive the son? Was it when he saw him walking down the road? Was it when he started the apology? Here's what I believe. I believe the father forgave his son the minute he walked out the door. 
But what we want to do is, well, I'll, I'll forgive when they deserve it. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that to you and me? So forgive quickly. Colossians 3 and 13 says, you must make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, by the way, um, who's Paul talking to there? The church. You may get offended by somebody you sing praise and worship beside. You may get offended by somebody that is in a small group that you attend. You may get offended by somebody that you worship beside every Sunday. What are you going to do? Well, they got to straighten it. they got to make it right. Nope. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Mm. I like that word allowance. Anybody got an allowance as a kid? Three of us. Okay. I got an allowance. And, and if, if dad forgot to give me my allowance, I was like, hey. I made a mistake one time and said, dad, you owe me. <laughs> it's about an hour and a half of my life. I don't remember. <laughs> but an allowance is something given to you that you can spend later. It's given to you in advance, right? What if we approached forgiveness like an allowance? I'm going to forgive you before you ever offend me. Is that hard? Yeah, of course it is. It's mature, and it's God's way. There's a famous Christian author. His name is Lewis Smedes. And I love this quote. It says, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover... And excuse me. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. Forgive quickly. Let the offense go. Forgive quickly. Number three. Let, let me ask you a question. <laughs> All right. To, to ask this question, or to answer this question, you're going to you're gonna have to not polish your halo. Do you ever want revenge? Yeah. You want to repay somebody, right? I was coming home from a, re a retreat I served at. And uh, so the, the guy that was driving has a truck and a big trailer behind us. And I guess we cut somebody off. I don't know what we did to this guy. <clears throat> but it was spooky. Because he didn't honk his horn. All right, so I'm on the passenger side. We're in the left lane. He's in the right lane. He just pulls up and matches our speed. All right? And then he just starts looking at me. <laughs> and I'm like, I... And, and we try to speed up. He pulls up right beside us, just looks, just stares me down. And I'm like, if he's got a gun, I'm in between him and the guy whose fault it is. We want to get revenge, don't we? And, and I'm going to tell you that it's okay to repay offense. Got your attention now, don't I? Number three, repay offenses with prayer, blessings, and good things. Dwayne, I don't know if that's, if that's really the way it's supposed to work. Okay, well, don't take my word for it. I'm giving you a lot of Bible today because you wouldn't believe me if it was just me. 
Matthew 5, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. All right, fellas, I'm just going to talk to you for a minute. If somebody slaps you, what's your first response? It is not, it is not, okay, try again. It is not. It is, I'm going to slap you in the mater patch. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus is compelling us to go, to, to take the high road and to do something that nobody else is doing. Why? Why? The world needs to know that Jesus really changes lives. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at another passage. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, keep a humble attitude. Look at verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, this is where we got this line, instead pay them back with a blessing. Why? Because that is what God has called you to do, and He will grant you his blessing. Ooh. So if I read that correctly, if I'm insulted, I return it with a blessing, then now God's going to bless me. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it uh, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is that your first response? Oh, I know. Y'all, if this were easy, everybody would do it. It's not easy. But I'm going to tell you that it's God's way. And it's the right way. And you'll be blessed if you do it. One more. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, but I tell you who hear me. Uh-oh. I tell you, are you listening? Jesus, that's, that's Dwayne's interpretation of what that phrase means. Are you listening? I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Oh, that's a tall order. But I'm going to submit to you that this way of life that Christ has called us to is a path to an eternal blessing. It might be difficult on this planet. Which brings us to the last one. Number four, keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. Do you notice in, in the beatitude that we read a little bit earlier? Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Yeah. Keep an eternal perspective. Hmm. The Apostle Paul 
probably experienced greater persecution than maybe anybody. I don't know. You can read books like Fox's book, book of Martyrs, and you can see um, all, uh, all sorts of people who have, who have given their life for the cause of Christ. But I will tell you that the Apostle Paul um, went down a, an incredible path, persecution that you and I can't understand. He said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Pretty good attitude, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? But here's the thing that just blows me away about the Apostle Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Experienced persecution like you and I can never imagine. But listen to his perspective just a few verses later. In verses four, in chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles. How many know that this world is passing away? And whatever you walk through, you're walking through. Did you hear that? Whatever you're walking through, you're walking through. The, the old Southern Gospel song says, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Do you know that phrase appears 435 times in the King James Bible? It came to pass. This world is passing away. I, I want to do this. I want to lay up my treasures in heaven. That for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I heard it said this way, and, and, and this just gripped my heart. You've got to love your heaven more than you love your earth. Back in the 1950s, there was a man, Donnie, you can come. Back in the 1950s, there was a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador. And his, his heart was to reach unreached people groups. So he went to, a, uh, him and four of his friends took a rickety plane to this remote village in Ecuador. tried to gain the trust of the native people there in this remote village in Ecuador. They circled, you know, in the plane, circled their village and, and dropped supplies and hoping to gain their trust. Dropped supplies and, and food and, and, and things that they could use, trying to open up an opportunity to share with them the gospel of Christ. And so Jim Elliott and four of his friends finally one day decided to land this plane and were successful for a short period of time in connecting with this native uh, people in Ecuador. But they didn't speak the language well. So there was a misunderstanding as things happened. So all four, all five of those missionaries, Jim Elliott included, were massacred on that beach with spears 
By the way, if you've ever seen the movie The End of the Spear, that's Jim Elliott's story. Jim Elliott gave his life for the cause of Christ. It literally cost him his life. Now, I can't say this for certain, but you and I will probably never have to do that. We'll probably never have to face a spear for our faith. But I don't know. But you'll face persecution. And you'll face insult. And you'll face offense. And you decide today how you're going to respond to that. I'd like, you to, read a, I'd like to read to you a quote from Jim Elliott. Wrote in one of his journals before he was massacred for his faith and for trying to reach an unreached people group. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I can't keep this life. You can't keep this life. The older I get, the more I realize, Donna said it well, this life is just a vapor. But how, how about we invest our life in something that we'll never, ever lose? That 10 million years from now, this eternal life that we're talking about has just begun. So I'd like to pray for you today. Maybe you're in the room and, and, and this, is, this is foreign to you because you're not a, you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you're watching online and, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm going to implore to you today that you allow the Holy Spirit to get you there. Because this kind of life declares to a lost and dying world that Jesus is alive. And I'm just wondering, you know, we always bow your heads, close your eyes. How many of you would say with me, God, whatever I got to walk through, if it brings you glory, I'm, I'm, real, I'm willing to walk. Put your hands in the air. Let's pray to that end. Father, in the name that is above every name, God, you see these hands. And so what we ask you to do is that you would strengthen us, that you would embolden us to face the persecution that this life sometimes brings. God, as we stand for you, as we put our heels in the ground and stand on the bastion of truth that is your word, God, we recognize that persecution will come. But God, help us to respond like you would respond. Help us to respond with kindness and goodness and love. Repay evil with blessing and good things. Help us to take that road, God, that you would take. And God, I, I just sense in my soul, maybe there's someone here in this room that's faced insult and opposition and offense. So God, first of all, I pray that you give them strength. Secondly, God, I pray that you would cause them, God, to seek your heart as to the right response, the mature response. Help us to respond like Jesus. God, we know that the only way that's going to happen is when you fill us with your presence and power that only comes through the Holy Spirit. So God, give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us your power to love well. To love when it's difficult to love. That when we're faced with persecution, to respond with the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and the grace of Christ. 
when faced with the opportunity to forgive, help us to forgive quickly. And God, we know that when we do that, when we live that kind of life, God, your blessing awaits. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe it would be in order to, to end this service with just a moment of worship. Donna's going to lead us in this course just one time. So I want to challenge you to just worship Jesus. be in order if we end this service with just offering God an ovation of worship and praise. The Bible says clap your hands all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen. Amen.